All right. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and talk about filmmaking and YouTube. Just a couple of life updates. I am about to move back to Oregon in the middle of June. So my wife and I are in our last month here in our apartment in Dallas. We'll be staying at my in-laws house for a couple of weeks and then heading back to Oregon, which I'm super stoked about because, I mean, Oregon's where I'm from and I just am very creatively inspired there. Texas has been cool, but you know, there have definitely been some drawbacks to living here. Mostly that my network of people that I know is very small. So, you know, collaborating with people has been hard. I have made a few friends here that are also filmmakers and, you know, I've done a couple of projects here, which have been fun, but I just, I feel like my whole creativity has kind of died down a little bit since moving here. And just because I feel like there's a lot of great things about Texas, but one of the things that I've noticed, especially about Dallas, and I know, you know, you say Texas and everyone just thinks one state, but I mean, Texas is enormous. And I know that there's beautiful things here, but most of them are just way too far away from Dallas to get to. As opposed to when I lived in Oregon, I could drive 10 minutes and get to a waterfall or drive an hour and get to the beach or drive another hour and get to the snowy mountains or drive two and a half hours and get to the high desert there was just there's just so much beauty like packed into a very small piece of the country that it just makes creativity and inspiration come to me a lot easier so yeah moving back to Oregon I think I've mentioned that on the podcast before but just kind of wanted to officially say it but yeah my apartment is pretty much empty because my parents have been on a cross-country road trip and they took a lot of our big furniture and stuff back with them because they stopped into Dallas to visit me and my wife. So yeah, I'm kind of in this empty apartment, which is, you know, probably not great for audio, but yeah, there's very little stuff left. So if the audio sounds a little different, that's why. You also may have noticed that I didn't do a News with Nigel segment at the end of April, and that was mostly because my parents were here visiting, so I just didn't want to miss out on hanging out with them, so I just didn't do a News with Nigel segment. But I'll do another one here in the middle of May, just because I missed April's. But Anyways, enough of me rambling. I'm going to get on to answering the questions. We have a few questions on Patreon and YouTube this week. If you didn't know, I have a Patreon and that's kind of what I've been pushing a lot more because I've been doing a series of A-roll breakdowns where I kind of break down the lighting of my A-roll shots and also A-roll shots of some of my friends. So I think that's really beneficial and, and like I really wish that I could, you know, send this series to my younger self. And I really think that if you're, you know, first starting out on YouTube or trying to get the hang of lighting, these can be really beneficial for you. So you get that when you support me on Patreon, but what you also get is your questions answered first on this podcast, as well as a little shout out. So we have some questions on Patreon, and the first one is from Matt Sivis. And Matt asks, do you have any tips on learning manual focus? I recently switched from an ADD to a GH5, and I don't think I realized how much I was relying on the autofocus system. Yeah, that's a really good question, Matt, and I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't realize when you have a camera with really good autofocus and then you move to a camera that doesn't have the best, then it can be kind of tricky to learn manual focus. It's almost like an art form in and of itself. I was actually doing a spec project with my buddy Jeremy and he wanted me to pull focus and I was almost like, I honestly don't think that I can confidently because, you know, pulling focus is a skill set that you really have to hone. But something that I did when I was first starting out with DSLR cameras is I would go to my neighborhood park and I'd find a swing set. And what I would do is I would either have one of my friends or family sit on the swing and just swing back and forth. And I would 
stand at one end of the swing and try to keep them in focus as they swung back and forth. And I just did that as practice so that I could kind of get the hang of what my lens feels like to manual focus. And I would record it and I would just see how well I could keep them in focus as they swung back and forth. So that's a really simple exercise that you can do. Like there doesn't have to be someone on the swing. You can just kind of push the swing and then see how well you can rack focus as the swing comes further away from you and then closer to the lens. So yeah, that's what I would suggest if you want to practice manual focus. That's how I did it. I forget whose idea that was, but it wasn't my idea. I'm pretty sure I heard it from like Philip Bloom or something like that. So yeah, that's a really simple way that you can practice manual focus and just get better at it. I think that having a follow focus would probably help too, because sometimes, you know, just doing it with your hands can be a little, you know, to hit or miss. But something that you can do is if you don't have a follow focus, you can set your focus point by figuring out where you want it to start and stop and putting your thumb on the top of the lens. That can be your first point and then figure out where you want it to stop and just kind of have a mental note of like where that is on like, a clock. So if your thumb is at 12 o'clock on the top of the lens, figure out where the end point is. And if it's at like seven o'clock or something like that, you can kind of know, okay, I got to switch from 12 to seven in the course of like the entire movement. So that's another way that you can kind of practice your manual focus. All right. This next question is from Ivan Martinek. Martinek. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry, Ivan. Yeah, but Ivan asks, any tips on staying organized in a multicam shoot? When I get to the editing process, often I forget what cam A clip belongs to cam B clip. Yeah, so I honestly don't have too much experience doing multicam shoots anymore. I mean, I guess if you count weddings, then I did. But the way that I would kind of do it is I would mark my cards like, you know, A cam, B cam, I would usually name my card something just so I kind of know which card goes to which camera. And when I pull it all into the edit, I usually have it all in folders. So I have A cam, B cam, C cam, you know, keeping your stuff organized inside of folders, I think is really crucial too, just so you don't lose clips or, you know, lose audio files. The way that I structure my folders is I have a folder, then inside that folder, I have raw and project. Project is where all my Adobe Premiere or DaVinci Resolve project files go into. Raw is just all my raw footage. So inside of that raw folder, I'll have cam A, cam B, cam C. I'll have, you know, pictures, I'll have audio, I'll have special effects you know, I'll have music folders. So all of that will all be in this one folder. So you can go into it and just find everything. And that really helps too, when you're trying to open up old projects. If you open up an old project that's in a folder that has all of the footage in it, you're not really gonna have any problems. So yeah, hopefully that helps Ivan. I honestly haven't done very many multicam shoots, so I might not know the exact struggles that you're, you know, struggling with. So this next question is from, a Patreon supporter with the username Oshoot, and Oshoot asks, best budget camera monitor for the Canon M50. I record mostly 1080 outside and have a hard time seeing anything on the screen as I primarily shoot from the left side. And I've had to scrap video more than once because of a poor shot. I just like to mount a monitor either on top or mount it onto my tripod arm. I don't know where to start with monitors though. Yeah, so I don't have much experience with the Canon M50, but I do know that the Canon M50, I'm pretty sure has a HDMI port that's on the right hand side of the camera, which is like on the grip, which is super annoying. I don't know why they did that. But if you're looking for good cheap monitors, 
that are decently bright. I would say start with the OC T5 Plus. I just did a review on that monitor and it's got a thousand nits of brightness, which I think is like the bare minimum when it comes to monitors. Typically LCD screens on cameras are in the 400, 300 nit range. So it is really hard to see your LCD screen in bright sunlight. And it is kind of hard to figure out if you're in focus and figure out if you're exposed right. So yeah, the OCT5 Plus is a good one. I'm also gonna be releasing a review of another OC monitor that is a little bit more expensive, but you know has a lot of really cool features. So yeah, OC I think is the best budget monitors right now, but if you really wanted to go a step above and get like a really high quality monitor that could you know last you for years, something like the Atomos Shinobi 5 would be a good one. Or if you want a really big monitor, then the Shinobi 7, and there's also the OC T7, which is a seven inch monitor. So you could go those routes and, you know, they usually will come with a monitor mount. So you can just, you know, mount it directly onto your Canon M50. But if you got something like a magic arm with a super clamp, you could just connect the monitor to that and then run an HDMI cable into your camera and then have your monitor mounted on your tripod arm. So yeah, that's what I would say for that. All right, and we have one more question from Ivan Martinek, and he says, I shoot outdoor in daytime. What ND filter do you recommend to keep the shutter angle at 180? Well, it really does depend on what camera you're shooting with because that's gonna really make the biggest difference. If you're shooting on a camera that has a really high ISO for shooting log, like ISO 800 or on the Sony's, you know, sometimes it's ISO 6400, then you're gonna need a really strong ND filter to keep that shutter at 180. For me, shooting on a, you know, a GH3, my base ISO is 200. So I can get away with pretty minimal ND because my GH3 is not very light sensitive. But if you just want a really good all-around ND filter, I reviewed the Seven Artisans variable ND filter that goes from like 1.5 to like all the way to like eight stops of ND or something like that. So it's really, you know, it's got a really good range of ND and it should be able to control the light no matter what camera you're using. And it doesn't give a lot of color shift and it honestly keeps your image pretty sharp too. So that's the one that I currently use and I really like it, the Seven Artisans Variable ND. So I would say go check that out. And those are all the questions from Patreon. Big thanks to Matt Sivis, Oshoot, and Ivan Martinek. And if you're listening to this and you follow me on Patreon, then be sure to check out my page every once in a while because at the beginning of the month, I typically post the podcast question ask. All right, now we're going on to the YouTube community page and you will notice that I won't be reading the names of the people that are asking these questions because that is a perk only provided to my Patreon supporters. So this first question is, how the heck do you know when to use lens filters such as NDs and macro filters? Well, I never have used a macro filter, but I guess if you wanna get a macro shot, that's when you would wanna use it. And as far as ND, Basically, you use ND filters when the scene is too bright or you're trying to expose for the brightest image and stopping down in your lens isn't an option and stopping down in your aperture isn't an option. That's when you would use ND filters. So ND filters aren't only used outside to you know control the light coming into your camera. I've used ND filters inside actually to control the brightest spots of the image and then I'll just brighten up my main focus of the entire shot with a light. So that's when you would use ND filters. All right, so next question is, not a question, just wanted to say that you single-handedly made me buy the GH3 in 2023. 
Well, that's rad because the GH3's pretty sick. Not the best camera ever, obviously, but I actually have two GH3s right now and that's what I'm using to make my YouTube videos. All right, next one is, I don't have a question, but I just wanted to say that how much I enjoy your videos and more recently, your podcasts. I don't have an expensive fancy camera, so I really enjoy the way you pitch your videos and make it accessible to people like me. Thanks and all the best. Hey, I really appreciate that. Thank you. That's always been the main focus of my channel is I know everyone kind of sees me as like the budget filmmaker, but like I, you know, I could go out and buy an FX3 or something like that right now. It's just, that's just, I mean, it's not as fun for me to create great images with an FX3 because the FX3 is pretty easy to create really good images with. It's a lot more of a challenge to create good looking images with my GH3. So that's why I do it. All right. What are your thoughts on Indian photographer and videographers? I think they're rad. I think that Indian filmmakers are really talented. And in fact, like, I think that's like the third biggest country that I get views from is the first is the United States, second is Canada, and then third is India. So a lot of Indians watch my YouTube channel, which I think is pretty cool. But yeah, a lot of really talented filmmakers in India. All right, this next question is, I'm still confused about you going back to the GH3 from the OM-1. I remember when you quit the GH3 and went to the OM-1, and I know it's about lenses, but why not have both? I personally adore the GH3. Well, I think they might mean the EM-1. I never owned the OM-1, but I sold the EM-1 Mark II and my EM-10 Mark III. I knew that like, going forward, those cameras were gonna go down in price because you know, when I bought the EM1 Mark II, it only cost me like 450, and I just saw the price of them just continuing to drop and drop and drop. So I knew that if I wanted to get the top dollar out of my EM1 Mark II and EM10 Mark III, it made sense to sell them earlier because I knew I wasn't gonna keep those cameras indefinitely. And I went back to the GH3 because I already had one GH3, and then I bought another GH3 because I wanted the lens that came with it. So. Now I just have two GH3s and I'm just gonna continue to make videos with these cameras until I figure out a different camera to buy. All right, next question is, what are your thoughts on the OM-1? Is it better than the GH6 as a hybrid camera? <sighs> Not really. So I've never used the OM-1, but I don't think that I would get the OM-1 over the GH6, but I also wouldn't get the GH6 personally either, just because I know that Panasonic is gonna be releasing another Micro Four Thirds camera in the future that's gonna have phase detect autofocus. So even though the GH6 is rad, I would hold out and get the new camera that Panasonic's gonna be released if you want good autofocus. The OM-1 just doesn't have enough video features to make it a really good video focus camera. And as far as a photography tool, I know that there's a lot of Scandinavian photographers that really love the OM system, but if you're gonna ask me like what camera I would wanna get as a photography tool, I would personally go for a Sony or a Canon. I wouldn't reach for an OM camera first. So yeah, that might be an unpopular opinion. The OM-1, you know, it shoots 10-bit, but it's only 420 10-bit. So it's not even the best 10-bit that you can get. And the autofocus from what I've seen doesn't actually work as good as even the EM-1 Mark II. So there's just a lot to be desired, I think, still with OM-1. And if OM, you know, produces a more video-focused camera in the future, that would be sick. But I can't really see myself going back to that brand on Micro Four Thirds cameras. All right, so next question is, could you do a Q&A on YouTube? Well, I used to do my Q&As on YouTube, but that's what kind of sparked this podcast is that doing Q&As on YouTube actually kind of took a lot of time and they didn't really get that many views. 
So I was like, why am I wasting so much time where I'm just basically answering questions and I'm going out into the mountains and, you know, answering each question in a different location because I wanted it to be, you know, semi-watchable. So that's how I kind of just decided, you know what, why don't I just start a podcast and answer these questions on the podcast? It's a lot easier to do. I don't have to bring out my camera at all. And it'll just be a lot more efficient that way. So you can still go back and watch some of the Q&As that I posted on my YouTube channel. And, you know, they garner a couple of views. But because the title is usually to do with something in the actual video that's specific to one question, people will typically just go on the video, scrub to that one question that I answer, and then just click off. So not very good for audience retention or view duration. So that's why I kind of stopped doing them on YouTube. All right, and the last question is, what is the next commercial you are planning, spec work or client work that you are stoked on? Yeah, so I don't really have a commercial necessarily that I'm you know planning to do. I am planning to kind of get back into the freelance world when I move back to Oregon, possibly even get like a staff job somewhere if I can, just because I do want to get back into the world of being a cinematographer, being a, you know, a videographer, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I do want to do some like spec work and some commercials for like some small companies that my friends own. So I am planning on doing stuff like that when I get back to Oregon. But honestly, I'm just really going to be stoked to be making videos in the Northwest again. That's really like my main focus is just to kind of get back to where my YouTube channel was back in 2020, 2021. Cause I feel like 2022 and you know, most of 2023 so far, my YouTube channel's just kind of been in a, like a, a lull. I haven't been uploading as much cause I just haven't been as inspired as I used to be. So like it's a rut that I really want to, you know, get out of. So yeah, those are all the questions that I have from the YouTube community page and Patreon. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question and hopefully I did a decent job answering it for you. And yeah, again, if you'd like to get bonus content, you'll get some behind the scenes lighting videos, you'll get that A-roll lighting breakdown series that I'm doing and a bunch of other stuff. And you'll just be able to, you know, interact with me more on Patreon. I'd highly recommend going and checking out my Patreon, but obviously no pressure. Big thanks to all my current patrons. I really appreciate you. And yeah, stay tuned for a, another news with nigel segment and maybe i'll have another guest on this month too but it's gonna be pretty uh pretty hectic as i get ready to move back to oregon so this podcast might just be some q a's and some other news with nigel segments where i'm just talking by myself into a microphone <laughs> anyways thank you all so much for listening and i'll catch you next time bye